Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. The story of the morning. Las Vegas Raiders defensive lineman Carl Nassib made history with a very simple video on Instagram. Here it is. What's up, people? I'm Carl Nassib. I'm at my house here in Westchester, Pennsylvania. just want to take a quick moment to say that I'm gay. I've been meaning to do this for a while now, but I finally feel comfortable enough to get it off my chest. Um, I really have the best life. I got the best family, friends, and job a guy could ask for. Um, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. Um, I just think that representation and visibility are so important. Um, I actually hope that like one day videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. Um, but until then, you know, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. They're an incredible organization. They're the number one suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth in America. And they're truly doing incredible things. And I'm very excited to be a part of it to help in any way that I can. And I'm really pumped to see what the future holds. And with that, Nassib becomes the first openly gay player in the NFL. And this announcement, this moment is so many things. It's brave, it's courageous, it's historic, it's inspiring, and so much more. Just don't tell me that it's not significant, because it is. Don't tell me it doesn't matter, because it does. Don't tell me that we already covered this with Michael Sam in 2014, because he never ended up playing in the NFL. And don't tell me the league is beyond this. If the league was so far beyond this... It would have happened by now, but it only happened yesterday. Nassib is entering his sixth season in the league. He was one of the best players in the country at Penn State as an All-American and the Lombardi Award winner, among other honors. And the fact that Carl Nassib is the first makes it a very important moment. Whenever anyone is able to be their authentic self, it's important. And when that person is a role model, someone that other people look up to, it might be even more important. Maybe this is not significant to you. Maybe this pisses you off. Maybe you think that he's doing it for fame or attention or something else. Again, if you think that, I suggest you revisit the announcement because I'm not seeing a lot of attention-seeking in that announcement. And let me be very clear about this. You declaring that it's not significant does not mean that it's not significant. And it doesn't mean that you're especially enlightened. He is the first openly gay player in the NFL. That is a milestone. And notice I'm not saying that he's the first gay player in the NFL. There have been plenty of gay players in the league over the years. Some came out after their playing days were finished. Some never came out. And there were plenty of reasons as to why players were wary of coming out. But Carl Nassib is the first to come out while still playing in the league. I also want to note that it's tricky for somebody like me to opine about what this moment means because I'm not him. I have not lived his life. I'm also not a person who has faced the challenges that he has faced. So I'm not going to pretend to know everything about his life or his experience. But from where I'm sitting, he is taking a big step. And he's taking that step for others. From what I've seen, he's doing it for young people in particular. And if you still think that this is about some attention 
or publicity grab or some other agenda, I want to read you part of his comments. Quote, I'm a pretty private person, so I hope you guys know that I'm really not doing this for attention. I just think that representation and visibility are so important. I actually hope that like one day, videos like this and the whole coming out process are just not necessary. But until then, I'm going to do my best and do my part to cultivate a culture that's accepting, that's compassionate. And I'm going to start by donating $100,000 to the Trevor Project. End of quote. Now, if you're not familiar with it, the Trevor Project works to provide crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ plus young people. And the fact that he is making his announcement and making a major gift to the Trevor Project tells you a whole lot. It tells you a lot about him as a person, and it says a lot about his focus in making that announcement. Because again, this is not about an agenda. This is about representation and visibility. This is about inspiring, and especially inspiring young people. There could be any number of young people who are impacted and inspired by his message. As he wrote on Instagram, quote, young LGBTQ kids are over five times more likely than their straight friends to commit suicide. For someone like me, who has been so lucky and cherishes every day, it brings me incredible sadness to think that our LGBTQ youth are at such an elevated risk for suicide. End quote. It's a powerful statement. And it says that this is about more than him and more than the NFL. He's talking about young people who are dying at an increased rate, and he's trying to do something about it. And then there's more. Quote, I feel an immense responsibility to help in any way I can. And you can too. Studies have shown that all it takes is one accepting adult to decrease the risk of an LGBTQ kid attempting suicide by 40%. Whether you're a friend, a parent, a coach, or a teammate, you can be that person. End quote. He also wrote, quote, right now, I'm sitting in a moment of gratitude and relief. Sadly, I have agonized over this moment for the last 15 years, end of quote. I want to pause on that for a moment. So he's 28. That means that for more than half his life, he has agonized over who he is. For more than half his life, he could not be his authentic self. And it feels like the truly generous thing, even bigger than the financial gift, the truly generous gift that he's making right now is that he's stepping out and paving the way for somebody who's like he was for the past 15 years. Michael Sam talks about the fact that he didn't understand the impact his coming out had on other people until he spoke to a young person who had been on suicide watch after being bullied for her identity. And then she saw and heard his story. And remember that whole rap that having a gay player in the locker room would destroy the team? Remember that. Let's go back to Hard Knocks a few years back when Nassib was giving out financial advice. You tell me, does this sound like a guy who's destroying a locker room? Who here knows what compound interest is? This is real <laughs> Financial advisors are everywhere, okay? They'll take your money and they'll take 1% of everything you got. And you're like, oh, it's 1%. It doesn't matter. Probably. I know it matters. It That's matters. Why I, I it matters a lot. Because if you learn this yourself, you can make billion dollars. We got a lot of money right now, right? 
This is the easiest equation to make you rich. You have a million dollars, and after seven years of getting 10% on that money every single year, okay, you're making money off of it, you're gonna double it after seven years. So you double your money every seven years for 42 years, you get 64 times your original money. So you got a million dollars, you can end up with $64 million by the time you retire. Nice. If you don't turn that in. Listen, Miles has got $30 million. Okay, so let's say, let's say, Yo, add that this mother be a billionaire by the time he was So hold on, <laughs> I'm actually this again. So you telling me. Bro, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I swear to God. You that no, okay, you don't believe so that, believe that Bro, hey. I've been thinking that the past three months and I don't spend like money on stupid I met Taylor Swift and before the concert I was like, I need to buy a Rolly. So she knows I got it and I didn't because of this. So you telling us that all we gotta do is put a hundred thousand dollars in the bank yep. and let this sit there. Hundred percent. Let it sit. Don't touch it. Interest. It's called interest, and it's so easy. When you go to the store and you buy something for ten grand, that's six hundred forty thousand dollars. Perky boy, I charge people for that. That's good knowledge, man. All right. So do you also remember the rap that? Players would be angry about something like this. Remember, players, former players, coaches. Well, they've announced and tweeted their thoughts on this. J.J. Watt tweeted, quote, Good for you, Carl. Glad you feel comfortable enough to share, and hopefully someday these types of announcements will no longer be considered breaking news. Saquon Barkley tweeted, quote, Much respect, brother. Julian Edelman, quote, Awesome moment. Spreading the love to the Trevor Project. Very classy move. End quote. James Franklin, who coached NASA at Penn State, tweeted out a statement that reads in part, quote, I am very proud of Carl for his courage and voice. This announcement doesn't surprise me because if you know Carl, you know his strength. Carl's story continues to add chapters which will have an impact well beyond the field of play. End of quote. Franklin announced that Nassib's gift to the Trevor Project inspired Franklin and his wife to make a gift of their own to the Trevor Project. Again, I don't know what the next few days, weeks, months, and years will be like for Nassib, but I do know that Carl Nassib is trying to pave the way for a day where announcements like his aren't made, but in order to get to that day, we needed his day first. So you're probably going to get a workout in today, right? What about after the workout? You're going to crave some protein, so what are you going to do about it? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go. To the game, to the gym, to the beach. So make sure you look for Old Trapper. It's in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you if you don't see it ask for it by name because no other jerky compares oh trapper what's your beef travis schlank is my guest travis it's so good to have you on how are you i'm doing well how are you doing sir good 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 to visit thanks so much for doing this and what a ride it's been let me first ask you how does it feel to be 24 hours away from game one of the eastern conference finals uh, it feels good, man. It feels good. It's uh, my first few seasons in Atlanta, as you guys know. We um, made the decision to build through the draft, so now to 
see all those guys go out there and be able to participate and have success in the playoffs, it's, it's a very good feeling. All right, so I'm glad you brought that up because there are so many parts of this turnaround that I want to talk about, but why don't we start with Kevin Herter what, and what he did on Sunday night. Can you take me back to the draft evaluation process? What did you see in him at that time that made you feel like he could make a significant impact? Well, I think the big thing that stood out about Kevin, thinking back to his days at Maryland, were just his size and his skill set. You know, he's six foot seven. Um, he's got good bounce off the floor, um, and he gets kind of labeled as a shooter um, because he happens to be a white guy. But he, he's he's so much more than a shooter. You know, he can get in the lane. He's got a really good pull up um, because of his size and athleticism. You know, he can shoot over the top about any defender once he gets in there. Um, and he's a very good secondary ball handler uh, in pick-and-roll situations. So just a lot of versatility with him uh, on the floor. Travis Schlank is my guest. What about John Collins? He was your first draft pick, and his role certainly has changed over the years. Sunday night, he had 14 points and 16 boards. He played some really strong defense. He's been on some teams that have suffered quite a bit of losses. So that said, what's it mean to you to see him advance to the conference finals? Yeah, as you mentioned, you know, John was the, the first guy we drafted when I got here. Um, you know, he's been through this whole process. So, you know, to see him be able to go out there and play, you know, in the biggest stage on the league in the playoffs um, and have success there uh, is really fulfilling. You know, he's, he's, you know, kind of the heart and soul of our team. You know, he shows up to work every single day, uh, extremely positive, you know, sets the tone early with his mood and positive energy. And he's he's just had a... He's had a great first four years in the league, and you know we're hopeful that he'll continue to have a long career with us. We're talking to Hawks basketball. Travis Schlank joining us. You know, I could talk to you about Trey Young for an hour or more. I mean, I could not be more impressed by him, his game, his personality, his leadership, pretty much everything about the guy. When did you first realize that he was not just a good player, but a franchise player, and maybe even better than that? Well, I think, you know, just really from day one with the, with the guy, you know, you know, he shows up, um, and from his first summer league, he was written off as a bust in the draft. Um, obviously, you know, the trade that was made draft night for him. Uh, I think he went like one for 11 from three in the summer league, and it was over. His career was over. Um, but, you know, he never lets any of that outside noise affect him. And, you know, just really from day one, he's gotten the NBA. You know, he's just, he's just put up numbers and then they were hollow numbers. Um, you know, and this year we actually went out in free agency and, you know, brought in the vets to help, uh, stabilize our young core. Um, and you can tell, you know, the past, you know, two, second half of the season, I think we we're 28 and 13 or something like that. And obviously, you know, being able to get eight wins in the playoffs, you know, it's more than just hollow stats with him. You know, he, he affects the game. Um, with his ability to get in the lane and make plays for others, and obviously his ability to score as well. Yeah, what about the fact that, I mean, it's so true, right? Even if his shots aren't going down, he's going to find ways to help the team. I mean, how much of this particular team is a reflection of Trey and his personality? Uh, On the offensive end, it's a large part of it, Uh, obviously. You know, when we run pick and rolls, I mean, you have to to make sure that you have every – person on the floor covered um you know starting with the ball and tray you know you can't be back and drop coverages or he's going to get into the lane and shoot his little floater um you have to account for the roller because he's great at throwing lobs to our guys that stretch the floor vertically and if you leave a shooter on the perimeter i mean he's one of the best passers in the league with either hand and he'll zip zip a left-handed 
pass across the court to a shooter in the corner. So, you know, his vision, vision, his ability to read the pick and roll is really where everything starts with us on the offensive end. Travis Schlank is joining us. You know, I could keep highlighting individual players, but the thing is, you're having to do this without the likes of Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter and other guys who are battling injuries. So I could see where it might be easy for guys to say, you know what, we're a little bit too banged up. We've had a heck of a run and then pack it in. But this team has not done that. How would you describe the mental toughness and the resiliency of this group? Yeah, no, obviously, um, you know, like most teams this time of the year, everybody's banged up, especially this season. It was such a condensed season, um, you know, playing games literally every other day uh, for months at a time. Uh, so everybody's dealing with a little something. But, you know, our, our guys uh, have stuck together and, you know, have to give uh, Coach McMillan a ton of credit for that. Um, you know, since we, you know, made him the coach, you know, he's, he's just had very simple, clear messaging with these guys to stick together. You know, he used the analogy of a fist. When you bring your fingers together and create a fist, it's really easy to knock someone out. When your five fingers are apart, acting separately, now you're just slapping someone, and you're probably not going to win the fight that way. Um, so guys have just banded together and, you know, through injuries, you know, the five guys on the floor uh, have stuck together and fought together. And, you know, that's been a big reason for our turnaround. I'll tell you what, a pretty simple but powerful analogy. What about the decision you had to make in late February? I can't imagine that was an easy decision to move on from Lloyd Pierce, who I know you think very highly of. I do as well. In fact, how did you know at that time that that was a move that needed to be made? What was your thinking? Well, I don't know if there's ever a good time, um, you know, to to make those decisions. Um, you know, we just felt at the time, you know, right before the All Star break, um, it, it was just time to time to make that change. Um, give Coach McMillan an opportunity to kind of get everything in place over that small break at All Star break for you know the few small changes the, that he was able to to make and wanted to make with the team. But certainly there's never a good time to make an in-season coaching change. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, I have a ton of ton of respect for Coach Pierce and certainly wishing nothing but the best. And, um, you know, those are just difficult decisions that have to be made, unfortunately. Right. Not to ask my opinion, but I love Nate McMillan. I've always been a huge, huge fan of him. He's the interim head coach right now. I understand that you've got a ton on your plate right now. But does it feel like a situation where you might have found your head coach for the future? Well, I've said a couple of times, you know, he, he's had the longest job interview in the history of job interviews. <laughs> right. Not that out of the park so far. <laughs> All right. I can respect that. Listen, when you look at Milwaukee, what are your early thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, you know they're they're a very good team. You know, obviously the the head of the snake is uh, Giannis, but you know I I really feel like Chris Middleton's one of the most underrated stars in this league. You know, he he's a very good player. You know, Drew Holiday's a very good player. You know, they've got size, they've got shooting. You know, they're they're physical, so it's going to be an extremely tough matchup. But you know, we're ready for the challenge. But uh, they're they're a really good team. Travis, before I let you go, let me ask you this. The team, it's the first team since 1994, the Pacers back then, to reach the conference finals without having an all-star. I'm curious what your reaction is when you hear that stat. I mean, is it that, come on, how is Trey not an all-star? Or maybe is it something else? Um, you know, I, I, I didn't know that stat, I guess. Um, you know, if, so much of the all-star, as you, as you know, is driven by you know fan vote, media vote, and player vote. And, you know, it's really where the team is. You know, if, you had, if we did not have a great record at the All-Star break, I think we were, you know, five or six games under 500. 
Um, and, you know, we've had a really good run here the second half. So looking at it like that, it's not all that surprising. Um, but, you know, it's also, it's not, also not easy to be an all-star. You know, there's only 12 spots. So <laughs> there's a lot of good players in the Eastern Conference. Fair enough. Hey, one final thought. When you and I have talked in the past, we talked about your time with Golden State. I'm curious, how did the experience of building a team or being in that situation kind of help inform what you've done with the Hawks? Yeah, well, obviously it's, it's been a big influence on, you know, what we've tried to do here. You know, the way that we tried to to build out the Golden State Warriors, uh, I mean, trying to use the same formula here is, you know, the character of the individuals we bring in is extremely important, and the skill level obviously is important. And those are the two main factors that, you know, we look for in Golden State, and we're trying to duplicate that here in Atlanta. And the Hawks are on to the conference finals. Travis Schlenk, my guest. Travis, I really appreciate it. I know you've got a lot on your plate. Thanks for making time for us and for this program. Really nice to get caught up with you, and good luck to you. All right. Thank you, Roman. We are only three days away from the big day. Three days away from me turning this entire program over to the very best callers on the planet for the 27th consecutive year. Three days away from one of those callers beating back the rest, ripping the five gur, and being crowned the king of smack. Now, the Champions Club is very small. The multiple Champions Club is even smaller. And the guy that I'm about to give the player profile treatment to today is in even more rarefied air than all that. Let me drop some data on you. 14 callers have won the smack off. Think about that for a minute. 27 events and just 14 winners. Of those 14, six have done it more than once. But only three legends have three or more straps. Shawnee the Cablin Asian, Brad and Corona, and your defending champ, Left in Laguna, a.k.a. the Laguna Beach Bully. Now, Left is not just a three-time champ. Get right down to it. He is one of the most prolific champs of all time. Three smack-offs to his name in only seven years in the event. Think about that, too. Three wins in seven years. Here's part of his winning call from smack-off 26. Shawnee, so uh, not a good look when the bridal party arrives on a cattle trailer and the audience starts bidding during the Maid of Honor speech. But my biggest concern, whoever was staying in that hotel room below yours, wondering if the bed Big Sean is making love on is going to come crashing through the ceiling like you're the Kool-Aid guy. Now, if you're wondering, will the three-time champ be back to defend his crown? Of course he will. In fact, he already RSVP'd a few weeks back. So you know I'm going to be there, dude. Can't wait. For my fourth ring, Jimmy, I want to get it sized for my middle finger. To all the haters that didn't vote for me as best caller ever in your Twitter poll, I find it interesting I received only 9% of the votes despite winning 50% of the smack-offs I've ever been in. Mark and Holly would love the RSVP where you fat-punned my name 600 times, which is exactly the same thing you did in last year's smack-off. Mark, the only thing fat about me is my wallet from winning this thing so many times, right? I mean, did I miss the memo that it was opposite day or something? Because, dude, if so, you're super tall, you're really handsome, have a totally normal hairline and teeth that are proportionate to the size of your head. Let me tie a nice bow on this one. You've been talking all month about history being made this year. We got our game seven, dude. It's 3-3 between Brad and I the last six years. And Jimmy, like Rick and Buffalo's five-speed hatchback and Brad and Corona's man purse, I'm absolutely clutch. Left. Man, this dude, 
He does feel like the face of the new generation clone, right? And in a way, he is. But don't get it twisted. He's been doing this longer than it seems. You go back over a half a decade, he's called in with lots of different thoughts, lots of different takes, and one very irreverent take on the Little League World Series. Little League World Series. Well, we got 11 and 12-year-olds still trading their molars to the tooth fairy for a 20. We got shortstops hiding their playboys under second base. We got inside the infield home runs, ground outs to deep center. But, Jim, don't get me wrong, there's some legit hot moms in the stands for this. And you know, This is the one event each year that Brent Musburger actually agrees to work without compensation. Well, seriously, these moms are working the TV cameras harder than Bob Crane on a blind date at a Motel 6. Hey, I'm really looking forward to every kid named Tristan, Stryker, Keenan, and Caden hitting 960 and launching 210-foot taters over the wall. Tend to forget about that take, right? How many of you had forgotten about that one? Now, listen to me carefully because I want to make this very clear. Leffen Laguna is not just a jungle legend. He is a jungle game changer. All right? This guy's done some things that we had never seen before and will never see again. He pushed the boundaries in unthinkable ways. He took the smack off to new heights, literally and figuratively. Remember back in 2015 when he made his call from a helicopter. And Jim, you can probably hear the Euro Chopter EC-125 buzzing in the background, but I bet you can probably hear it even better because I'm right outside the O'Reilly Auto Parts studio for reals. Jim, that blue chopper right outside the window, that's me. Riding shotguns, Randall, he washed your windows four weeks ago. And our pilot trending on Twitter today, Captain Steve Wonder. You have to understand, that was not some sound effect. That was legit. My man literally went up in a helicopter. And at that time, nobody was doing anything like that at all. I walked out of the studio and took a look down the hallway, and I looked out my window, and he was there. The chopper buzzing was something else, something different, something revolutionary, and it was only a sign of the things to come. Since that phone call, Leff has stormed the studio twice, recreated a legendary 1990s Sports Illustrated photo shoot during a smack-off call, resurrected legends that I had not seen or heard from in 20 years that I thought were already in the ground, impersonated my horse straight fire, sucked air from a helium balloon, and got cameos from the likes of Henry Winkler, Ron Say, Larry Brown, Holly Robinson-Pete, Cato Kalin, The Butter Knife, Michael Franzis, and Rich Ackerman. It's time for your sports update. My man Rich Ackerman's got it. Rich? Breaking news we're following out of the Inland Empire. Corona police arrested a man-child today after discovering his elaborate plans to impersonate several different people using the same voice and wacky cartoon sounds in order to fraudulently win a radio contest. Hang on, I got another call coming in. Uh, hello? Hi, it's Larry Brown. Congratulations, Jim, on all the success. And I love the show. But you have to stop Frank calling me. I don't want the gym membership. Hey, Jim. Straight fire here. 
Sorry if I sound a bit hoarse, but I'm here to RSVP for Left and Laguna. Just make sure Left doesn't have the combination to the paddock on the door. Track me. I'm oh. That's right, Left. I'm Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, and I want to talk Chargers soccer with you. Hey, Left. Henry Winkler here. Just want to touch base before Smack Off 24. How great is it that it's on TV this year? I've written down July 20th, and I'm storming the studio, and I'm bringing with me my award. Hi, Lef, Ron Say here. Hey, Lef, would you give Rome a message for me, please? Would you tell Jim to stop sending his fan base out to stalk me? <laughs> oh, so you think this is funny? Yeah! Dumbass. The Penguin! My man, my idol growing up was Ron Say. That was, that was an amazing moment. Brad and Corona can call Lef a gimmicky little bitch. Gimmicky little bitch. They're rivals. It's gamesmanship. They're trying to intimidate each other. I'd expect nothing less. Brad can call him a gimmicky little bitch. Gimmicky little bitch. And it's hilarious. But none of you can because you're not in the arena. And you can't tell me you're not ridiculously entertained. I mean, it's ridiculous. You are not ridiculously entertained by Lef. If it's free. Are you not entertained? You're a straight-up liar if you say you're not entertained by this guy. Left smack-off calls are can't-miss radio because you've got no idea what's about to happen. Who knows what this dude's going to do? Setting the bar where he set it is incredibly difficult, but continually raising it is nearly impossible because of what he's already done. Again, this is a guy who has changed the game. I had to change the rules to the game when a bunch of players complained that he's local. We can't afford to do that. We don't have the means to do that. We don't have that kind of accessibility. He has an unfair competitive advantage in being able to storm the studio where we can't do that. So I had to ban studio storming. He literally got me to change the rules. You know, kind of like Will Chamberlain. I've got to raise the basket. Because old left is just throwing down on everybody. So, I changed the rules. I banned Studio Storming. And he still wins the smack off last year anyway. What I'm saying is this. Left is so much better than a lot of you want to admit. If just being a gimmicky little bitch was all it took to win this thing, then gimmicky little bitches would win it every single year. And he's far from that. He's far from the only one to try to incorporate a gimmick or two into a phone call. Trust me, others have tried it, and it's gone really badly for them. No names mentioned. Mark in Boston. Remember when he brought in Bill Romanowski last year? Do you think, <laughs> on top of that, do you really think it's that easy to just round up 20 strangers and get them into my studio at the exact same time and then execute the call perfectly on live radio? Do you think that? Hell out of here with that. And again, I banned all of that after he did it a second time, and he still won after it got banned or I changed the rules. So put some respect on this guy. Give this guy the respect that he has earned. In fact, he has more than earned your respect. I don't care where and when the smack-off is. You could hold that thing yesterday, and I'll show up and win it. Effective immediately. I have hereby fired Team Left. 
all the writers, all the producers, uh, Jimmy, they're just straight fired. Hey, uh, Gino, thanks for that five-minute RSVP that you won't be calling Friday. Remind me not to invite you to a party you can't attend because I don't need to read a nine-page regret letter. I do know what Benny and Wisco and Cheese have in common. They both stink worse than a Dane Cook butt biscuit. Caleb, I'd call more if I was like you. You know, no friends, no offspring, no access to sunlight. And if my mom did my laundry and laid it out of my race car bed. It's National Bring Your Dog to Work Day. So, Tyler and Edmonton, don't forget to roll down the window for your girlfriend on your way to work. And Mike, saying things twice isn't cool. Saying things twice isn't cool. Rick Pitino, what type of beer is this vampire drinking anyways? Bloodweiser? And Romy, I'm not saying rigor mortis is fully set in yet, but... Dude hasn't looked this stiff since he devoured that f taco at that Italian restaurant. Did you see a helmet chipped the tooth of Aaron Judge? How in the hell did a helmet even find a tooth in this guy's gap mouth? And with that jack-o'-lantern mouth, people in New York have already started calling him Mr. October 31st. Did you know Joe Burrow is just the command Richard Gere shouts to his pet gerbil named Joe? War Jacksonville Jaguars, Shahid Khan sporting that big brown lip sweater that looks like he gave him. Denage Davenport. Was this fight put on by Bellator or the Belly Tour? I mean, for God's sakes, Joe, have a take and suck in. Congrats on getting the show on Sirius XM. I mean, how cool is it that Sam Cassell and Willie McGee can now listen to me on extraterrestrial radio? And Jimmy, how great is it that Smackoff falls in the only week without any pro sports? I mean, who scheduled this thing? Brad and Crona? I mean, dude has less interest in opening the sports section than Shaq Griffin has in opening a pickle jar. Brad, if the point of your pictures last year was to prove Americans are not all fat, Maybe tell Reggie to keep his fat ass out of the reflection of your Ray-Ban. Brad versus the field. Dude, unless your nickname for me is The Field, I assume you're referencing his white trash backyard. Gimmicky little snitch. So, Romy, I guess it's true. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes do chopper calls, bust down studio doors, and leave their capes behind. But legends bridge the gap that's the size of Aaron Judge's teeth between old school and new school and collect back-to-back smack-off titles. Legends never die, Romy. Hey, what a bet, punk? Whoa, whoa, Terrence, put the gun down. <laughs> hey, Bert says hello. Damn, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm out of bullets. Time to die. I'm out. There is your champ. The current reigning king of smack. Last year and two other years. That is one of the best and most decorated callers in jungle history. Put some respect on that. Give this guy his due. Give him his respect. He's won it three times in six years. I will see you in three days, champ. Grant Hill. Grant, it's been a minute or two since you and I last spoke. Grant, how are you doing? How is your life right now, Grant? Hey, Jim, I'm doing well, and uh, thanks for having me on. And it has been a while since we had a chance to talk, but uh, exciting times. Staying busy, NBA playoffs, and uh, uh, of course my Atlanta Hawks, and then uh, the USA basketball around the corner. So uh, uh, it's a fun time for sure. Well, man, these are exciting times, and it's great to have you on, Grant. So you are the vice chair of the board of the Atlanta Hawks. I just had Travis Schlank on the program, the previous segment. So what do you make of how the team has played in the first two rounds of the NBA playoffs, and how much do you like what you see from your guys? Yeah, I mean, it's been fun. I mean, it's been fun to watch and be a part of. And uh, Travis uh, has been just absolutely incredible. Um, and uh, as, a, as a franchise, it's just uh, it's a great time, you know, to be in the mix, uh, in the playoffs, in the conference finals, uh, to see our fans really rally uh, behind and really believe uh, in the guys on the team and the coaching staff. And so uh, 
just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, my wife and I were fans, you know, <laughs> we're there like, like all the other partners and, uh, and folks in, in attendance. And, uh, you know, as you get further, and you know, this gym, you get further in the playoffs, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> and certainly Milwaukee, uh, is an incredible team, but, uh, we're really excited and looking forward to uh, game one tomorrow night uh, in Milwaukee. Grant Hill is joining us. You know, Grant, as I said to Travis, you and I could talk for an hour or more about Trey Young. I've got so much respect for him personally and for his game. You know, as you watch him, if you had to boil it down to one thing, what is the thing that you like most about his game? Well, I mean, I think Trey has an incredible amount of confidence uh, in himself and his abilities. And uh, we've seen it on display since he's entered the league. We saw it in Oklahoma. Uh, He's also got a little chip on his shoulder. And I think that's a good thing. You know, I think as guys who are undersized in our league, you look at all the the great small players. They've always had that. They've had that, you know, that, that chip on their sleeve. Uh, you know, and, and but he has just a, a great skill set. He's a joy to watch. He's a showman. And uh, I think what's starting to happen is you're seeing, uh, you know, you know, fans out there who haven't been traditional Atlanta Hawks fans who fall in love uh, not just with, with the team, but fall in love with Trey. And, uh, he's, you know, he's a little guy. He's endearing. Uh, he doesn't back down. Uh, he definitely gets a lot of criticism from the fans on the road. Uh, but for the, he delivers. And uh, so, you know, it's just, you know, watching him and, and seeing how he's grown, how he's matured, uh, how he's become a better player, how he's become a star. It's really a lot of fun, and he's, uh, you know, he'll tell you he's still got a lot of room to grow and looking to get better. But you know, he he wants to be great. He puts the time in, and uh, he's getting the results. Grant Hill joining us. I'm telling you, Grant, I can't get enough of the guy. I love the guy. I love everything about him. I love his competitive spirit. I love that chip. I love that he is a showman. And, man, he is clutch and he is calm. I love everything about him. You know, it's not just Trey, though, right? Like, there are so many young players around the league now who are stepping up in a huge way. I know that's got to catch your eye, both as somebody who loves the game and also now in your role in USA Basketball. When you look at guys like Trey and Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell, does it feel like there's a new generation about to take over yeah you know Jim it sure feels that way and uh, I mean you and I have been around professional sports for a long time and there's always uh, the replenishing you know sort of a revolving door Um, you you think about the league you think about the faces of the league uh, over the last you know decade or two Um, you know you think of LeBron and Chris Paul and and guys like that Uh, you know they, they had incredible runs and certainly Chris is still playing and you know, I believe that LeBron still has a lot in the tank as well. But, you know, eventually as you move forward, there's new faces and new players coming in. And we're getting a bit of an introduction to who those guys are. You, know, you look at Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. You look at Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. Two teams that weren't in the playoffs last year. And, uh, and now all of a sudden have emerged. Uh, and I think teams, uh, excuse me, fans have really uh, taken to them and been drawn to their play. And, uh, and so it's encouraging. It's exciting uh, for the NBA. It's exciting for the future of USA basketball to know uh, that we have some incredible talent, some young talent uh, that will you know, continue to you know, carry that torch and, and be the face of the league for, for years to come. Hall of Famer Grant Hill is joining us once again. Grant, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski announced that this upcoming season will be his final one as head coach at Duke. 
you played for and have been around great, great coaches and great leaders throughout your entire life. So what is it about Coach K that makes him so unique, an outlier? You know, you know, it's interesting. First of all, when, when, you know, when the announcement came, I, I, was, I was shocked, <laughs> hmm. uh, although I shouldn't be. I mean, he's getting up there and has coached for, for four decades. But, you know, selfishly, it's been great that, you know, my former coach has, is still there after all these years. But, you know, the end is obviously, you know, everything comes to an end. And he made his announcement. I, I think there's so many, you know, qualities about him that are admirable. Um, but you said it best. I mean, right there, he, he, he's, he's an incredible leader who happens to coach basketball. And I've always felt and always said that whatever he, you know, whatever he would choose to do, whatever industry he would, you know, want to be a part of, that he would succeed. It just so happened that he was coaching basketball, but his ability to, to, to get, to get folks to believe, to buy into one another, to play for one another, uh, to believe in a, in a, in a common purpose, if you will. I, I think in large part, that's part of his genius. And, um, you know, coaching is part of selling, you know, selling people on yourself, on your system, on your, on your game plan. Uh, and, and he's done that and done it over multiple generations. And uh, to be able to connect, resonate, uh, lead, motivate, and inspire young men, teenagers, uh, and to do it for four decades is incredible. So his longevity uh, has been unmatched and uh, really one of the great leaders, one of the great teachers, one of the great coaches uh, in the history of sport. And uh, I'm just lucky to have played a very, very, very small role in his overall legacy. Hmm. Grant Hill joining us for a few more moments. Grant, so after the Tokyo Olympics, you're going to be taking over for Jerry Colangelo as the managing director of USA Basketball. I mean, there are so many demands on your time. So what made you feel like this is an opportunity that you want to work on? Yeah, you know, it's, it was an, an incredible opportunity. And, um, you know, Jerry, first and foremost, has just done a fantastic job along with, you know, Jim Tooley and you know, Sean Ford, the entire USA basketball uh, staff is just absolutely incredible. Uh, for me, I was a part of the Olympic team in 1996, uh, got hurt, so I missed out on the 2000 Olympics in, uh, in Australia. But I know how important and how pivotal of, a, of an experience that was for me. And, uh, and, and to be able to help provide that and, you know, assemble a team and, be, and have that role and responsibility moving forward is incredible. Um, Jerry has big shoes to fill. I'm certainly excited about that. But I think my collective set of experiences has really helped prepare me uh, for this opportunity. And as you talked about, 2024, you know, certain players may or may not still be in the league. Players that we've been accustomed to watching and and, uh, following who've been a part of USA Basketball. So to usher in sort of a new generation, uh, to get these guys excited about representing their country and, and playing on an international stage is something I'm looking forward to. And I know it's meant a lot to me in my career. I know when you talk about, you know, players like Jason Kidd and, and, and the late Kobe Bryant, when, when, when I spoke to him about his experience and LeBron and, and others, um, it, it really played a, a huge role in their overall development. And so, you know, a chance to help provide that for these young men is something that I'm looking forward to and uh, very excited about doing. 
Grant Hill joining us. Graham, glad you brought that up. I mean, to that point, NBA players play a long NBA season, and of course, they've got interests outside of basketball that they might want to explore in the offseason. So how do you go about making the pitch to them about the importance of USA basketball? What is the pitch? Well, there's a lot. I mean, and as you said, look, the players, guys are, are giving up their offseason, giving up, you know, a, a few weeks, almost a month of their time to be a part of this. And, and they're doing it because, you know, they understand uh, the significance, they understand the importance to their legacy, uh, the experience to play on a global stage, um, and, and, and just, you know, following the legacies of the greats who played before them. You know, the Dream Team, Magic, Michael, uh, you think of guys like, you know, like, like LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Kobe Bryant. I mean, the players that, that influenced uh, a lot of the younger generation and watching them participate and be a part of it and to be able to have their turn to represent their country, to go out and prove that the U.S. USA is the best in the world in our sport. Uh, I, I think guys, and you know, from what I'm hearing and, and certainly seeing guys and talking to guys, they're very receptive to it and excited about that opportunity and look forward to it. Uh, but it's a different generation, and you know, this generation has different motivations. And so the key is getting our best on board and excited about this opportunity. And, uh, and that's something I don't take lightly at all and, and look forward to engaging and, and hopefully assembling the best team possible to go out there and uh, pursue uh, a gold medal. It's going to be great. What an all-time basketball life it's been already. Seven-time All-Star, more than 17,000 points in the NBA. As I referenced, a two-time NCAA champion, an All-American, an Olympic gold medalist, a Turner Sports NBA and NCAA analyst, the Hall of Fame, and now the incoming managing director of USA Basketball, Grant. I appreciate you very much going way back to our early days together when you come on the program. It is great <laughs> to get caught up, Grant. Thanks so much. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on, man. It's great as always to talk with you. He is Pierre McGuire. Pierre, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Really nice to visit with you. You too, as always. Pierre, so Tampa Bay beat the Islanders last night 8 nothing. Why don't we start right there? What did Tampa Bay show you with that performance last night? The big boys came to play. Steven Stamkos, Kucherov, uh, Braden Point, Andre Vasilevsky when needed on defense, Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough. The big boys came to play for Tampa, and the Islanders had no answer for it. The Islanders turned the puck over way too much. Their in-zone coverage wasn't good enough. And quite frankly, Jim, their goaltending wasn't good enough. But I will tell you this. I expect the Islanders to bounce back. I don't know how easy it's going to be for Tampa uh, to win game six. I did all of the Islanders series with Pittsburgh, and I did all of their series with Boston. And I can tell you, this is a nasty team. It's a hard-working team. It's a proud team. It's extremely well coached. And I think Tampa's going to have a, a tough time closing it out in six games. We're talking to Pierre Maguire. You know, you just answered it in part, Pierre, but I was going to say, when you pull your goaltender in the first period after allowing three goals and then the replacement gives up five goals, is that just a bad night all the way around or is there a cause for concern? No, I wouldn't be that concerned. I've seen this happen with the Outers before. It happened in the Penguin series. It happened in the Boston series. And they'll have a bounce back. Both those goaltenders have short memories. And Varlamov's not going to take that personally. The start, I would be shocked if he didn't start game six. He'll go in there, he'll play guilty, and he'll put on a good performance. I don't think he'll throw another stinker out there. 
but the truth is he needs help too. The team's got to play better in front of him. The team wasn't particularly good last night, and that's not to take anything away from Tampa. Jim, uh, Tampa star players again came to play, and they put on a display last night. They were very, very good. They were huge. Pierre McGuire joining us. Now, Pierre, you were also on the call for Game 4 of the Vegas-Montreal series. What was your reaction when Peter DeBoer made the move to start Robin Leonard instead of Marc-Andre Fleury in goal? I was surprised, but again, I understand Peter. He really knows his players probably as well or better than any head coach in the National Hockey League. So he knew where Marc-Andre Fleury was mentally. He also knew where Robin Leonard was mentally. The last time Leonard played was game one of the Colorado series in the second round, and he got shelled 7-1. So you know he's going to want to go in and prove all the doubters wrong, and he did that in that game four performance you're alluding to, Jim. I thought through the first 40 minutes, it's not for Robin Leonard. You know, Vegas gets buried in that game, and then he comes up with the timely save against Cole Caulfield on a breakaway. And I said it on the broadcast, remember that save that Vegas comes back to win, and that was the turning point of the game. That save was just spectacular, and it made a huge amount of emotional difference on the Vegas Golden Knights bench. We're talking to Pierre Maguire. You know, so, Pierre, what about Leonard saying that he sat for two hours and he watched people trash him on Twitter before the game in order to get motivated and hyped? How do you like that approach and then the way he showed up in Game 4 after doing so? You know, Jim, I've been in this league for 33 years. Goaltenders are different people. They really <laughs> right? are. So you can't think that they're going to look at it like a cerebral quarterback would or uh, a starting pitcher would or, or an elite boxer would. Goalies are just different people. They really are, and everybody's got their own way of getting motivated. So if that works for him, good for him. I don't think it would work for everybody, Jim, but clearly it works for Robin. And, you know, Robin's done a lot of things in his life some good, some not so good, but I'll tell you one thing, he straightened his life out. Um, he went and got help. He's had a lot of counseling, and it's worked out extremely well for Robin, uh, signing a long-term deal with the Vegas Golden Knights, and that performance in, in was spectacular. It speaks to his competitive fire and his determination to help the team. Talking to Pierre McGuire. So, Pierre, what about Montreal? How impressed have you been with how Montreal has shown up in this series, especially when their head coach is in COVID protocol? Uh, phenomenal. But the man that's replaced the head coach, Dominic Ducharme, uh, has 21 years of playing experience in the NHL, Luke Richardson. He also was a head coach in the American Hockey League, the top developmental league for the National Hockey League for four years. And he won a championship in Binghamton, New York, with the Binghamton Senators. So he's not a neophyte on the bench. He knows what he's doing. I think the biggest thing with the Canadians, though, what's happened in this entire playoff, they've been given roles. Every player's been given a role, and each one of those guys has accepted their role, Jim, and they've played it to the T. If you're a guy that has to score, you go out and score. If you're a guy that has to win face-offs like Philip Deneau, you win face-offs. At the clip of almost 60% per game, Jim, that's unbelievable in the playoffs. If you're a shutdown defenseman like Shea Weber or Ben Sherratt, you shut down the opposition. Don't worry about offense. So every guy's accepted their role, Jim, for Montreal. And it's worked fantastically well for them. So, Pierre, Tat, last point, though. How do you explain Montreal's ability to limit the impact of the Golden Knights' big stars and especially not letting them get to the net? Well, that's because they got some jumbos on the back end, to coin a phrase from the great Bill Parcells. You know, you got to have some jumbos in order to win at the offense or on the offensive line and on the defensive line of football. Well, it's the same thing in hockey. You got some jumbos on the back end that deny you access to the front of the net. It makes it a hard game to play. Two years ago, St. Louis did that, and they did it fantastically well. Last year, Tampa Bay, if you look at Victor Hedman and you look at Luke Shen and you look at Zach Bogosian and you, you look at Eric Chernak, you look at the big boys they had on the back end with Tampa, it's the same kind of thing. 
And with Montreal, with Shea Weber, with Joel Edmondson, with Jeff Petrie, uh, with Ben Sherratt, you've got four jumbos back there that make it hard. I think one of the things, though, Jim, that's really hurt Vegas, especially their star power, not having Chandler Stevenson after game one. He's a really fast player. He opens up a lot of ice for Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, his two line mates. And uh, because he's not playing there, I think it's caused some turbulence for the star players for Vegas. We're talking to Pierre Maguire. So having said all of that, Pierre, what are you expecting to see in game five tonight? This building is wild. I'm about to, when I'm done with you, Jim, I'm heading over to the building pretty early. I've got a lot of work to do over there, but it's just, it's an amazing atmosphere. For those that haven't made the pilgrimage to Vegas to watch a hockey game, do yourself a favor. Come. It is, it is a spectacular event. Their in-game production is as good or better than anybody in all of professional sport. It's phenomenal what they do here. I can't say enough good things about the program here. And, um, I think it'll be hard for Montreal to win tonight, especially if they don't score first, Jim. If Montreal scores first, they have a chance to take the crowd out of it. That'll help them. But if Vegas scores first, they'll be feeling some mojo because they'll have some momentum coming out of game number four. We're talking to Pierre Maguire. Pierre, I was going to ask you, like, from, and you laid it out, from a spectator standpoint, the energy and the vibe in the building is absolutely incredible. But from a road team standpoint, how challenging is it to endure in that environment and to come out of there and get a win? It's darn hard. Montreal did it in Game 2, and the reason why they did it in Game 2, they established their forecheck early. They went right after the Vegas defense. They forced turnovers. They eventually capitalized and scored the first goal. They got comfortable in the game. They were able to maintain their game plan for longer periods of time because they did have the lead, so they could kind of take the crowd out of it. Their neutral zone game is so good, Jim, when they're playing with the lead, they can frustrate you, and that's what they did too when they won Game 2, and it's something to pay attention to as we go in to game five tonight. If the Canadians get that first goal, that makes it a bigger mountain for Vegas to have to climb. So it's really important for Vegas to have a good start. Now, more times than not, they have really good starts in this building, but we'll see tonight. But I would expect that Vegas is going to be tough to handle tonight here. Pierre, one last stop before I let you go. Game three, Corey Perry of Montreal got hit with a high stick, and there was not a penalty called. Like, from an officiating standpoint, how would you describe the way the games have been officiated in the postseason? Uh, every game's been different. That was not well done. That game was not well done by the officials. I'm a big fan of the referees in the National Hockey League. I know their level of professionalism. They don't want to make mistakes. They made a, an egregious error on a non-call there. Jonathan Marcheseau should have definitely got a penalty and probably a major penalty, if not at least a double minor. Um, that was a blown call. It, it should have been called. Uh, but I think by and large, Jim, last year I know I shared it with you. I was in the bubble with in Edmonton for nine and a half weeks with the officials. We stayed at the same hotel. We ate in the same restaurants. We worked out in the same gyms. And I'll tell you what, Jim, these guys, their level of commitment is phenomenal. Has a refereeing been letter perfect? No, it hasn't. But I can tell you, it's not out of a lack of effort. These guys try their derrieres off. The problem is, is that the games become so darn fast. The players are so darn big. And it just I think they've got to change the refereeing system, Jim. I really do. I think they need to have one referee on the ice. And I think you have the one referee up in the press box with instantaneous communication from the referee upstairs to the referee on the ice. I think it would make it a lot easier, and it would slow the game down for the referee upstairs and would not allow the referee on the ice to be intimidated because he knows he's got an eye in the sky that can help him. I think that makes sense. Really quickly, Pierre, should the game be officiated differently in the playoffs than it is during the regular season? Probably not, in my opinion, and I'm a traditionalist. Um, I, I think that if it's a penalty in the first game of the regular season, it should be a penalty in the game seven of a Stanley Cup final. I mean, you, you should create a standard where the players know 
exactly what a penalty is or isn't. Um, and I know one thing, we don't want hitting out of the game, but we don't want cross-checking to the head. So that should be a penalty. We want smooth, fluid offense through the neutral zone, but we don't want tripping. So that should be a penalty. We don't want obstruction on the forecheck, but we want to protect their defensemen. So we've got to come up with a way so that defensemen aren't getting run over from behind. So there's got to be a way to impede the progress just a little bit without slowing the game down. Uh, and I think these are just minor tweaks to the rules. I, I know a lot of the coaches are aware of, Jim, and I still think our game is just awesome. I really do, and the players have been spectacular this year. Have we had perfect officiating? No, we have not. No, but the game is awesome, and there's no better postseason than the NHL postseason. He is an NBC hockey analyst. That's exactly how you do it. He is a scout and an assistant coach from back in the day with the Penguins and part of the organization's back-to-back Stanley Cups, a sports Emmy Award winner, and on his way into the building right now. Pierre, thank you so much. I appreciate you, the friendship, and all the great content. Have a great night. Thanks a lot, my friend. Take care of yourself, Jim. Keep loving the playoffs, everybody. And Jim Rome, thanks for being an awesome voice for hockey. Thank you. My man, Pierre. You too. Pierre McGuire. Mark in Chicago. Mark, good to have you. What's up? Rome, you told me not to wait so long in between calls the other day, so I figure I'd I'd uh, bang out two in a week. Um, just wanted to try to sneak a couple uh, comments in on Smackoff. Uh, Brad... Um, uh, you know, Brad has he's really gonna cement himself on, on Friday as being the, the GOAT. I think uh you know, he's really invested in it. He's got a lot of skin in the game. Not one skin, not two skin, not three skin, but four skin in the game. So BIC is gonna win on Friday. Uh that's all I got. War, Rick and Buffalo Is that all you got, Mark? I don't like that call. Is that all you have, Mark? When I said, don't be a stranger or don't wait too long between calls, what I meant was do not call back right away with your joke about how Brad has a lot of skin in the game. He is the Laguna Beach bully. Left. Excuse me, champ. What's cracking? What's up? Jimmy, how are you, man? Good. How you doing, Left? Good. Happy Smack Off Week. Yeah, that reverse buzzer is literally the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It sounds like a K-pop song. Um, but, hey, I just wanted to thank you for the back-to-back Smack Off player profiles. Obviously, mine today. I forgot about half of that stuff. That was awesome. But um, even better than today was my starring role in Brad and Corona's profile yesterday. I was all over that thing. Jumping routes. Brad, every time Jim said you're a great caller, was tagged with, yeah, but left. Bro, I'm everywhere. I'm in your profile. I'm in your head. When you're not home, I'm in your bed. Jimmy, seriously, you can't deny the hardware Brad has stacked, though. But let's add another one from yesterday. Best supporting role in his own smack-off player profile. In all honesty, though, I thought Brad's profile was really well done. It uh, depicted everything Brad's done really well in the jungle, jungle, mainly lining that body bag with the worst collars this show's ever seen. Let's see, you absolutely murdered Matt in L.A. by calling him fat, which is groundbreaking. You toe-tagged both the Canadians who Rome invented 11th and 12th place for in the smack-off. Then there's Ray Ray in Tampa, Silk. I mean, I can go on and on. You're like Ben Simmons, dude. You're afraid to take the big shot. I just can't wait for Friday when Brad inhumanely euthanizes Paul's dog. He mummifies Ashley in Nebraska and organizes a public hanging of Kim in Sacramento. Anyways, Jimmy, before I go, I like to keep my smack-off calls high-level. I uh, just needed to get something a little low-level off my chest before Friday, if you don't mind. So, Alfie, get that reverse manual buzzer ready. 
Apparently, Rich Flores and Brad and Corona are planning another post-smack-off get-together. Jim, I'm not sure if you've ever seen Rich Flores' Twitter handle, but it's at Dick Flowers. I just find that really interesting since I gave both of those things to Brad and Corona's wife the other night. She ah! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. Laugh. I don't know, guys. Let's go to Sarah T in Providence. Sarah T, what's going on? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. Warner. Happy birthday to you. Jim, it's Kurt Warner's birthday. Happy birthday, handsome. (laughs) Greatest show on turf. Jimmy, he's the greatest beau on earth. And by the way, who is this Brenda? <sighs> Look at poor Alvin. Alvin, you must be exhausted. Jim, Alvin is still opening his Father's Day presents. Hang in there, Alvin. Jim, unfortunately, I will be unable to attend Friday. All your losers, uh, listeners are probably going to be excited to hear that, but I'll be away. But I do want to wish some uh, good luck to all the callers, especially Mark in Hollywood. I mean, his name even tells a story, doesn't it? I mean, because we're still waiting for him to make a mark in Hollywood. And Rick in Buffalo, uh, Rick, all this guy does, Jim, is drink and talk about the Goo Goo Dolls. He's got Goo Goo Dolls on the brain. Rick, you need to be more concerned with the gin blossoms on your face. And You know what? Speaking of dead fathers, Jim, I lost my dad six years ago. It was awful. I mean, this guy, he actually died in my arms. And, you know, I held him in my arms until the, uh, the warmth left his body. And I still laughed harder than anything Matt and Van has ever had to say. Hey, Lunkhead, Jim's door handle has more life on it than you. And, Jim, speaking of which, um, my first Jungle Threesome, did it really have to be with Dan and Matt? Jeez, Louise. And you know what, Dan? You could take the camo off now, buddy. Ned Beatty is dead. He ain't coming back. Wow, Sarah. Racker. Tyler in Milwaukee. What's going on, Tyler? Jim, Jim, I've been off the grid the last week on a fishing trip, so it's good to be back in. Great to speak with you. And I can't tell you how pumped I am for the Bucks Hawks. I mean, you got my favorite team versus my favorite player, Trey Young. And I know I've hit on this. We all know that Trey is challenged up top. But seriously, Jim, I saw a hole in this dude's lettuce that was so large, Ben Simmons could shoot a basketball through it. And speaking of lettuce, Jim, I see you have a new crew member, Tom D. Benedetto. Uh, hey, Tom, did your barber cut that thing in the dark, or did you get a stick of gum stuck in here? I mean, I feel bad for Rit. It looks like you've gone a few days without washing that chop. I mean, I half expect Hawk to roll down one of those window panes to air the room out. And, Jim, have you seen this guy's chiclets? Holy moly, or holy molar, I should say. Do you guys uh, storyboard the show and use those bad boys as whiteboards? I mean, the camera adds 10 pounds, apparently, to his teeth. And, Jimmy, I always say personal appearance isn't show fodder, but I'm starting to think it's a prereq in every ZipRecruiter ad you post. I mean, you got the tattooed porn stash guy, the forehead, all this dirt, and now you've added the tooth. Look, everyone is all about putting together these super teams to win, but you're really doing it differently. You're putting together an insane clown posse and winning despite them. That is absolute legend status, Jim. Good for you. 
just, hey, don't start dressing like them. I mean, Johnny O is one thing, but let's not push it too far. So, smack off Friday, Jim. I'm pumped. Look, I know you've got another Tyler in this thing, but I can promise you I'm better looking. I'm in better shape. Have a normal-sized nose. And although I've only got a couple days lead time, I'll run better smack, Jim. So, it's time we brought some gold back to the great state of Wisconsin. Get me in this thing. I'll be ready to roll, and I promise you I will blow your mind in true Wisconsin fashion. Let's do this, Jimmy. Wow, dude. Uh, No. But, man, I thought about it. I thought about it, except how could I ever explain giving a guy a golden ticket when he violated rule number one? Personal appearance is not show fodder when he eviscerated the new guy and everybody else on the staff. London, England? That's what he says. Gordon in London. Gordon, is that true? Are you really calling from London? Jim, when I'm not saving people money on car insurance, I like to tell a few jokes. Jim, ears are so big, he cleans them with a Swiffer. Seriously, Jim, when Lef holds a seashell to his ear, it's the seashell that hears the ocean. Jim, last year during the mask shortage, Lef wasn't worried. Lef can always cover his face by folding his ears over his nose and mouth. Is that how you get a golden ticket, Jim? Make fun of people's ears. Can I hear the music then? Gordon in London. Now, I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know that voice. What is that? I know that voice. Mark in Boston, quickly. Good to have you, Mark. What's up? Jimbo, listen, man. It was never about the money for me. Things got real when you said in my profile, Mark sounds borderline Canadian. This aggression will not stand. So I'm going to go ahead and spoil that last bag from London. Hey, Jeff in Southfield. It was super cute when you went after John in New York and pretended to be him. It was weird when you pretended to be Trapper. And it's pathetic that you're calling the week before the biggest event in sports talk radio with recycled ear jokes and an even weaker impression. So listen, bruv, Friday when the real bullets are flying, it's going to take a lot more than wacky songs, weird impressions, and recycled jokes, mate. You're going to have to come with some real smack. Have a take. Don't suck. And, Jim, last year you literally spent the week before the smack-off talking about the importance of a quality phone line. And Caleb took that advice and purchased a phone from Mike and Indy at Metro PCS or Cricket or, I don't know, wherever poor people buy their phones, and <laughs> then made that call from an underground safe room. Now, Caleb, I know you've addressed it, but if you're going to get a phone this year, please don't buy it from a place that requires you to reload your minutes at 7-Eleven and then... Do your call with a softball team warming up in the background. Ding! Jimmy, I'll see you Friday. Love you, bud. That a boy. Rack him. Good job, Mark. James in Portland had his golden ticket, lost his golden ticket, and is trying to get it back right now. James, what's going on? Jimmy, what is up, my man? Hawk, that was an amazing explanation of the do's and don'ts of the jungle, my man. And, and I figured, Jim, I would you know, take another run at my ticket today, starting with these supposed other golden ticket winners. I'd personally like to thank BJ in the Bay and Kim in Sacktown for bombing last week, but that's what happens when you read your takes. Do not read your takes in the jungle. 
and hey, BJ in the Bay, stop ripping my material. Seriously, Jim, this is plagiarism at its finest. Since we know you wrote down, hey, Obi, you impregnated the Sherman rule. Hey, dude, I wonder where we've heard that one before. And Tim in Sacramento, I'm going to be nice to you because you live in Sacramento. No, seriously, I'm so sorry you live in Sacktown. And I'm also sorry listening to your calls is like hitting play on an audiobook. And we know Matt in L.A. doesn't read his takes, Jimmy, because we know Matt in L.A. can't read. And he, Tyler in Edmonton, C-A-N-A-D-A-A. Tyler, I'm going to take a leak so bad I can taste it, eh, on your muscular calf. Tyler, you're so hot and buff that BJ in the Bay has a picture of you in his yellow fanny pack. That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not the question is, call. how did this guy ever get a golden ticket to begin with? Like, I've got to go back and check out the tape. How did I ever give that guy a golden ticket to begin with? Like, James... You make me laugh, but not enough to give you a golden ticket. I mean, how many BJ references did you think I was going to allow? One of my favorite beach towns, Will in PB. Hey, Will, how are you? Yo, Romy. San Diego's been bumping between the Padres' ass beating of the Dodgers and Bryson DeChambeau melting away like the liquid cheese curds on Caleb from Green Bay's double chin. Hey, Stucknut. Go ahead and go shove those smack-off odds up your ass, too. Leave the wagering to the big head, who likes writing out his bets with green children alphabet magnets on his cranium. Jimmy, the other day you ran Cam in Sacramento because you were saving her from embarrassment from beta alphas like Lef and BIC. Romy, the difference between these sissy clones and I is that I actually have the stones to call out the jungle dung beetles like Rick, who sounds like he's getting castrated by an Eskimo, or the Kaplan Asian who spent all of his stimulus money on Equate hair growth from Walmart, or the BICs of the jungle. Brad's just whimpering because he can't feast on the low-hanging fruit that is fantasizing on air over Star Napier's augmented body, or verbally addressing Grant in front of millions of listeners. That's not a good call. No. Like All right, so this time, Will, you got run for something totally different. Last time, you got run for saying something really egregious. This time, you got run for just being terrible. Just, well, just wasn't good enough. You know, not, not good enough even in a non-smack-off season, but especially not good enough during smack-off season when there's a magnifying glass on every call that's made. We go to Paul's dog. Hello, Paul's dog. Well, hello, Rim Room. Rice with a rolling biscuit. Where's Rummy? I ate it. Will I have another one, please? Who's a good boy? I am. I'm a good boy. Roar, Mutt and Array. Roar, Reese and Indy. Ruff me, Rum Rout. Don't do it, Albie. Ah, Rack it. No. No. You don't like that call. He like that said. Call. Rock me, I'm out. So I said, do it. Rack him, he's out. Let's uh, let's reverse that decision right there, Alvin. I know it's your decision, and I've given you the autonomy to make that call, and I've put the hammer in your hand, and I don't have a button here on my desk. 
Good night now!